0: Do you remember 1972? How different is religious liberty in America today than it was 50 years ago? Hi, I'm Peyton Luke and this is First Liberty Live. Our culture has changed a lot in the last 50 years, but I have a special guest with us today that has a diverse education and background and will be able to unpack some of the history for us. So Kirby Anderson. So Kirby, you may know him from either point of view or he is also the president of Probe Ministries, but I want to go ahead and even give you a little bit of his background because he has some very impressive education with this. But anyway, Kirby, thank you for joining us today. Sure, good to
1: be with you today.
0: Absolutely. So I just want to tell people a little bit about what you've done, because it is quite impressive. And I think it will show them just how much value that you can add to this conversation. So not only are you doing point of view, you're also the president of Probe Ministries, but you also hold master's degrees from Yale University in science and Georgetown University in government. But you also, have your bachelor's in zoology as well so i think that adds a lot of value to the conversation and today we're kind of flipping the tables on you you're normally the host
1: i'm usually the host and you are the guest and will be with me later in the week as a matter of fact later
0: this week as well so point of view is celebrating 50 years on the air and so Would you be able to just unpack for us a little bit of what Point of View focuses on and some of the diverse topics that you discuss?
1: Well, you know, Point of View started back in 1972. Moreland Maddox started it and really was very concerned about what was happening on the uh, various media outlets. At that time, you had kind of a, if you will, almost a humanistic filibuster taking place where just one viewpoint was being presented. Now, I know you're pretty young, but for our older uh, viewers, they might remember Walter Cronkite, and if Walter Cronkite said it, then it was true and there were a number of individuals that were really presenting kind of a biased view of media and so Marlon said rather than complain about this I'm gonna start this program which was first just a very local program but eventually went up on satellite a much later In fact, it was one of the first programs to ever go up on satellite and was a live broadcast. And so he began the program in 1972. He did it really for about 32 years. I've done it now 36 years. We overlapped about 18 of those years. But if you think about 1972, very different. Richard Nixon was in the White House. Uh, We were just beginning to have inflation. When we talk oftentimes about this issue of religious liberty, uh, there were a lot of challenges to religious liberty liberty and the problem was is back then in 1972 there was no um, alliance defending freedom there was no first liberty there was no Jim Dobson doing radio there was of course a group of uh, religious broadcasters and even religious uh, people in the area of law but it was something where we were really losing a lot of religious liberty back then and so those were some topics we were addressing since that time Point of view really talks about anything that involves your faith your family or your freedom
0: mm-hmm. sure so let's get in time machine and go back to 1972 you just mentioned richard nixon and everything but I know that people back then would be shocked at the development and say technology that we're dealing with nowadays. But what if we showed them some of the headlines from from today? Which ones do you think would surprise them the most?
1: Well, I think most people today would be, uh, especially young people, would say the Soviet Union was so dominant at that time, and so today we think of Russia, but we don't think of it as a massive threat to our um, freedom in this country, even the possibility of a nuclear war. Now we move into the idea of detente, but still that was the case. Richard Nixon, through Henry Kissinger, actually opened up China today. We take for granted that we interact with China, but it was sort of an entity that was not known. I did relate to this issue of religious liberty. Years ago, I had a chance to interview an individual that had been an ACLU lawyer, who later became a Christian and actually began to deal with some of these first uh, liberty kinds of cases. And he said, you know, back in the 60s, we were winning most of the cases because we were like a football team on the field and there was nobody playing defense. Uh, Yes, there was a Christian law society and a Christian legal society, but it wasn't really mobilized in any significant way. So we were losing one case after another. You had the prayer cases in 1962, uh, the Bible reading case in 63. By 1980, you had Stone versus Graham, which had to do with the fact that you couldn't even post the Ten Commandments in a classroom in Kentucky and on and on and on. And so With some of the things that we take for granted today having a lot more freedom having of course a lot better technology when Marlin started the program you know you did them on these big reel-to-reel tapes then when other radio stations wanted them they would take those reel-to-reel tapes put them in a box ship them and people would play them days later which is one of the reasons why in the early 1980s he went up on satellite 24 hours a day simply because he wanted everybody to hear the same news at the same time all the things we take for granted today with smartphones, technology, uh, liberty, freedom, and all the rest. We're very different back in 1972.
0: Sure. And you cover a lot of religious liberty topics and stories on your show. So what do you think are some of the stories right now, current events, that will have the most influence on our culture moving forward?
1: Well, I think one of those has to do with some of the cases you've had at First Liberty. And those are the Bladensburg case, and even the Coach Kennedy case, because a lot of those have to do with the idea of the establishment of religion. Now, there was a case back in 1971, just a, day, a year before that, and it was called the Lemon Case. Now, I don't claim to be a lawyer, I don't play a lawyer on television, but you know I know enough to know that the Lemon decision actually had all sorts of very restrictive criteria on what would actually be allowed in terms of religious freedom. And so, once that was implemented, you had, for example, I mentioned a minute ago, the case having to do with the Ten Commandments in Kentucky. Well, we can't post the Ten Commandments because if you go back and look at that case, the argument was, well, if we post the Ten Commandments in a classroom, the students might read the Ten Commandments. They might believe the Ten Commandments. They might even act on the Ten Commandments. And then you had all these cases having to do with Christmas crushes and nativity scenes. and You had to count the number of reindeer. If you had a nativity scene, do you have Santa Claus with it? All sorts of really bizarre things that all came from there. Well, the good news is, is that lemon case has pretty much just been thrown out due to some of the actions of First Liberty. Now the other one that is a real troubling one since I have at least one of my degrees from the state of Oregon is what's known as the Smith case and that one has to do with the issue of free exercise but it does seem to me that maybe you're going to eventually push that one aside as well and so in some respects uh, Kelly has said this and I happen to agree with him that even though I have a government degree not a law degree yeah. I think we would all agree that this is the first time you've had a majority of the Supreme Court that really believe in the First Amendment, in the sense that they don't bring other kinds of precedents, like the Lemon Test or the Smith decision there, but they just look at the Constitution the way the framers intended. So we are in this wonderful time, and your generation has really never known a time in which we had that level of religious freedom, and also our freedom of speech, and assembly and all sorts of other things that come from those decisions that are related to the First Amendment.
0: Sure. And even since 1972, like there was the rise and fall of Roe v. Wade. How do you think that the impact of the Dobbs case will have like, moving forward?
1: And again, since I'm the old guy around the table, I can remember a time when abortion was illegal. Sure. Um, my father ran for the California Assembly in 1962. Um, that was the year that Richard Nixon also ran for governor. They both lost. Then he ran again for the California Assembly in 1964, and that's when the presidential candidate uh, was an individual who, all. Uh, was Barry Goldwater, and they both lost again. But something happened in 1966, and that is you had Uh, Ronald Reagan run as governor and things changed rather dramatically, but I can remember even then Ronald Reagan being a very conservative governor uh, Still probably not really thinking that abortion was a big deal and so when the Supreme Court decision came down in 1973 Roe versus Wade not a lot of people made a big deal about that and uh, you can even go and find Christian authors that hardly even address the pro-life issue, but very quickly we began to see that what people thought might might just be something that would allow a few individuals to get an abortion, very quickly led to more than a a million abortions every year. Actually now having the Dobbs decision going back and saying, you know what, there is no uh, constitutionally protected right to privacy as it relates to abortion in the Constitution and thus sends that question back to the states. How that plays out in this next election, we'll find out. But I think, again, this is the first time in many decades in which you've had the freedom to go back and look at the Constitution the way it was actually written by the framers. And my degree at Georgetown was really in American political theory. So we studied the Federalist Papers. We studied the Constitution with George Kerry. One of my other professors was Gene Kirkpatrick, later in the Reagan administration as a UN ambassador. And uh, those kinds of things that we studied, sort of in a hypothetical way, because they weren't really being implemented by the Supreme Court, have changed dramatically. So that's good news for your generation.
0: Absolutely. And now let's shift gears a little bit to talk about the church. So we know that numbers are dwindling compared to in 1972 or even the 1950s with mm-hmm. the number of people being in church and all. So how do you think that the role of the church has changed?
1: Well, again, the church is dwindling somewhat. Um, this is where I'll put on my Pro Ministries hat mm-hmm. for just a minute because we did a extensive survey of born-again millennials um, about a decade ago. And this most recent survey where we spent an enormous amount of money and surveyed all all sorts of individuals, Generation Y and Generation Z. So anybody born after 1980, because we wanted to look at a phenomenon of the unaffiliated. Sometimes they're called the nuns, standing for N-O-N-E-S. And we're seeing that more and more young people in your generation are leaving the church. Now, they're not leaving the church because they disagree with the church, they're just leaving the church because they don't think it's really relevant. So the church, at least as an institution, is not as powerful. as it was, but I also think at the same time in light of all the things happening in our culture, those individuals that are actually committed and we have people like George Barna and other people on the program, they are actually probably more involved than ever before. So in some respects, while you have sort of a winnowing out of some individuals that might have gone to church, but they didn't take it that seriously, you now are coming down to the core of individuals. George Barna has a good way to explain that. He says, for a lot of people that are Christians, who call themselves Christians, they see Christianity sort of as a hobby. But for people that are committed, they see it as a lifestyle or worldview. And so in some respects, the church is still going to make an impact if indeed all Christians who call themselves Christians voted along a Christian worldview. They would actually have a profound impact in these upcoming elections and in the next elections as well.
0: Sure, and talking about elections, um, we were talking about Richard Nixon because he was president at the time, 1972, and as I was researching for this episode as well, I pulled up just out of curiosity the electoral college map from 1972, and we saw those was primarily red. There was like only one or two of the blue, and that definitely kind of indicates a bit of that shift in culture. Now we have shifted, but at the same time, and there are some vastly different aspects But where are we similar?
1: Yeah, and one thing that is very different is that you go to 1972 presidential election, um, basically 49 of the states. You go to 1984, 49 of the states except for Minnesota. So you have a time in which these were just major electoral landslides. That is not typical anymore. No, it's not. You get to 2000, for example, and uh, the fact that George W. Bush won by just about 500 plus votes in Florida. And then again, a significant number in 2004. And then you have, again, some really close elections in 2016, 2020, and all of the rest. So in some respects, it's a very different world. It is a very divided world. But also, it helps us understand, back to your point, Peyton if indeed Christians got involved, and that's again one of the big questions, they could tip the balance because you don't have to overcome this massive swell one way or the other, it is very close. And so first of all, it says we should as Christians be registered to vote and then we need to vote. The sad reality is Christians oftentimes are not registered to vote, typical of other particular constituencies, and they also don't turn out to vote. But if they turn out to vote in these November elections, they will tip the balance in so many of these elections, not only in the House of Representatives, 435 races up for grabs, but also 35 U.S. Senate races, as well as governor races and all sorts of other issues. So once again, Christians need to be registered to vote, And second of all, go out and cast an intelligent vote.
0: Yes, so on the topic of being involved and having a voice and maybe making sure that you have your voice, heard i was listening to one of your recent episodes and you brought up how the first lady biden had mentioned that she doesn't feel like in schools certain books should be kept out of the libraries and so you're having these curriculum come into the schoolrooms, sometimes explicit content for very young ages and she's like oh no we shouldn't like keep any certain books out. So what is your view on education that's being introduced and how this will impact future generations and the future leaders of our country?
1: And the sad reality is when the first lady who has a degree in education and probably should know better says, we don't ban books. Of course we do. And we don't mean ban them, but we mean that there are such things as age appropriate. And I would love to get with her and show her some of the pictures of some of these books where the, and I'll be very careful here, the female and male anatomy are explicitly shown and shown how to use those and to say, okay, I, I could understand how an 18 year old might want to look at those and certainly would not be shocked by that. But can you imagine sending those to a, and allowing a six year old to do that? And of course, this has been a battle we fought for many years. And at Point of View, we've really taken that on. Years ago, I wrote an appeal letter about some of the kinds of things that were in some of these libraries. And I had somebody in the state of Arkansas say, It just can't be that bad, Kirby. So she went to her uh, school library and looked for some of the books that I recommended. She looked at them and she was shocked. She said, first of all, in the letter she wrote back to me, it was worse than you described. Well, of course, I didn't want to offend our donors. And second of all, then she came to the librarian and said, I can't believe these books are in the library, where the librarian said, yeah, well, same old line, we don't ban books. So then she asked, well, can I at least see whether or not my daughter has checked them out? And the librarian said, well, your daughter has a right to privacy. So she, I can't even tell you whether she checked those books out. And this angry mother looked her in the face and said, she's my daughter. I need to know. And I think if most parents had any idea with the kinds of things that are being taught in the schools, although over these last two years of a pandemic and lockdown, some of them have kind of looked in to the uh, various kinds of Zoom calls and things like that and said, What are they learning? First of all, what are they not learning? All the basics. And second of all, what are we teaching them? And this is why you've had more and more of these parents, Peyton, showing up at these school board meetings because they're completely shocked by what is actually being taught in the schools today. So again, you've got some really major issues that I think are going to be part of this campaign. I've said before, most people probably couldn't have told you who their county judge was, but after this pandemic lockdown they know, probably couldn't tell you who their district attorney was but now with the crime they can tell you and they probably couldn't tell you he's on the school board But now they're starting to pay attention. Oh
0: for sure You've got to keep your eye on it with everything that's going on behind the scenes So let's talk about marriage. How do you feel that the redefinition of marriage is going to impact culture?
1: You know, one of the things that we have been talking about for decades, literally, is there are very good reasons to go back to the biblical definition of marriage, but also the traditional view of marriage. And I have even got a booklet coming out now because years ago I wrote about all the arguments against same-sex marriage, all the arguments for traditional marriage. And after the decision in 2005, um, which by the way was a five to four decision, but overturned all sorts of laws, including constitutional amendments, state constitutional amendments in 30 different states defining marriage between one man and one woman. But after that, uh, you know, we started setting that aside. But now with this idea of the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, uh, we need to revisit those arguments. And we have a little booklet that we'd be glad to make anybody available to because what we're talking about there are some really fundamental issues. Number one is, is that once you redefine marriage, what you find is people don't get married. And we've had a social experiment taking place in Europe for decades, and we recognize that once you redefine marriage, people don't get married at all. And that's not good for a society. Number two, once you start redefining marriage, then people get really confused, especially young people get confused about what marriage is all about and all the rest. But. To the real point that I know you're uh, looking at, once you redefine marriage, once you say same-sex marriage is legal and homosexuality cannot be challenged, then you have all the religious liberty issues. And there are huge ones. A lot of people will, of course, know your case out of Oregon right now, Sweet Cakes. Or they know Jack Phillips, Masterpiece Cake. Or they maybe know um, uh, various uh, florists Um, various people that are photographers. I put together a commentary, Peyton, a while back on all the different professions that Christians probably could not go into because of the redefinition of marriage. And you've had individuals that have lost their ability to get a degree because they disagree uh, with the particular prevailing view about homosexuality or same-sex marriage. Photographers that have to be very careful if they do wedding venues. Of course, I just mentioned florists and bakers. But even individuals in the hospitality area, if indeed they make available a venue for a traditional marriage, they would be forced or else fined to actually provide that for a same-sex marriage. You can make a list of nearly a dozen different professions that would be affected by passing something like the Respect for Marriage Act that has actually been passed by the House of Representatives and right before the United States Senate.
0: Sure. So, And unpack a little bit for us the Respect for Marriage Act, because on your show the other day I heard you going through it and some of the hidden details that people don't even realize.
1: Again, it's presented primarily as trying to codify the decision that came from the Supreme Court, which, again, was a 5-4 decision. I always like to mention that. That shows you how just one vote can be really important. But it goes beyond that because it expands that. Because the decision back in 2015 essentially didn't even talk about transgenderism. Do you think transgenderism is a big issue now? Of course it is. And so it begins to have a profound impact on various policies and really establishes it as more than just a decision that came down from the Supreme Court that was at the time a courtesy of Supreme Court Justice Kennedy that uh, these particular state laws were coming out of animus and are unconstitutional, instead establishes that as a national policy and thus would make it much more difficult for your lawyers to stand up for religious liberty in cases having to do with homosexuality. So it advances the transgender agenda. It really makes it even more difficult to talk about uh, having just bathrooms for boys and girls. It uh, begins to promote that and whereas before there was maybe a little bit of acknowledgement that there are people that are married man and woman, but there are other kind of marriages, now it becomes a national policy in which you now teach it in the schools. And that is a direction from which we could not recover. And so there are very important concerns from the Supreme Court decision years ago, but this particular piece of legislation would enact even more draconian and more egregious and radical kind of ideas than we would have imagined.
0: Sure, and speaking of our government and some of the decisions they've been making recently, um, as you know, we have some clients that are Navy SEALs and are military vaccine cases, and the military was trying to mandate the vaccine so you have a degree in science so just to get kind of what are your thoughts when you look at this from a religious liberty standpoint and religious exemptions but also when some of these guys have proven immunity
1: yes well and again it's kind of interesting because Anthony Fauci actually wrote one of the chapters in a book which I just found out about the other day on immunology and you don't have to know much about biochemistry immunology to simply know what he wrote in his own book and that is that when you have the virus you create the antibodies that then provide you with immunity somehow he seems to have forgotten that and it was only when really pressed by senator Rand paul who's also a doctor has an md degree and all the rest that you probably do get immunity from having the virus and so given the fact that even the other day we have the president saying well I think the pandemic is over and then of course the White House rushing very quickly to say well he really didn't mean that well it is sort of over because either you have the vaccine or you have the immunity that comes from natural immunity and so to actually voice thought upon I have to say some of the healthiest people I've ever met you know whenever somebody tells me they're a Navy seal I know that they can probably drop and do more push than I can, they can probably run farther, faster, and probably are the healthiest people you'll ever meet. And then to require them to be vaccinated against their will is certainly medically unnecessary and I think illustrates a different agenda, and that is sort of an anti-religious agenda. Notice the people they kick out are the people that have some kind of religious exemption. And so I think we have a mindset today that says, well, they might just be troublemakers, so we'd be better if we didn't have religious people in the military military. Frankly, those are the kind of people you want in the military because they have a moral compass, and if they get an unlawful order from uh, somebody higher up, they might disobey that because they have a sense of right and wrong. So I appreciate the fact you've been supporting them. And just the other day when the Pentagon announces that probably the way our people in the military can deal with the high inflation right now is to actually get food stamps, it shows that we do not value our military, and I'm glad that you have. Michael. Barry and all sorts of other people supporting the military because this is another area where we desperately need First Liberty. Yeah,
0: there's some hidden agendas going on for sure with all of that. So anyway, tell me a little bit about your organization and what you do in Pro Ministries.
1: One of the things we do at Pro Ministries is that we have been very much involved in really articulating a biblical worldview. And then we also do a lot of apologetics, how to defend a biblical worldview. And it's kind of interesting. Right now, we're celebrating 50 years for the celebration of Point of View, because it started in 1972. But it's one of those interesting things. uh, Jimmy Williams and John Buell Started probe Ministries in 1973, so next year will be the 50th anniversary of Probe Ministries. You're just
0: going to keep celebrating. And
1: so we have 50-50-50 because 50 years for Point of View, 50 years for Probe, and the next year my wife and I celebrate 50 years. So 50-50-50. Well, so there you go. Yes. But again, we started in large part speaking on college campuses, uh, influenced by a man by the name of Francis Schaefer and uh, C.S. Lewis and people like that, and really felt the need to really articulate what a biblical worldview is all about, and also to to know how to defend a biblical worldview. And so as important as it is to address those issues on radio, we also address it through our website and through a three-minute program and a variety of other things we do. So in some respects, Probe and Point of View are very similar, but they're like those Venn diagrams. Remember those where they overlap? There's just an enormous amount of overlap. I guess I'm the overlap. But nevertheless, it's an organization people might want to know about as well.
0: Sure. And where can people find your content? And what's your website?
1: Again, Point of View is pointofview.net. You can watch every one of the programs that are there. You can find the articles we've posted. And the other one is probe.org, probe.org. And again, those are resources and Peyton, thank you for Turn in the tables and uh, being a host today.
0: Absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you so much for your time. And is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go?
1: No, but if nothing else. I encourage people to support First Liberty. I have known Kelly Shackelford for decades, even back when it was called the Free Market Foundation. And I have been a faithful supporter. Maybe not a big supporter, but a faithful supporter. And one of the reasons why I'm so thrilled that we can have you or Jeremy or Michael or, of course, Kelly or uh, I'm going to forget a name or two uh, on the program is because we certainly believe that this issue of religious liberty is important. And that's why every Friday when we do our weekend edition, we always try to have at least one individual from First Liberty.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kirby. We really appreciate it. And thank you so much for the work you've done throughout the years and the books you've written and just your impact on our culture and society. So thank Thank you. you. So thank you so much for watching today. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening in religious liberty across the nation, be sure to go to firstliberty.org and become a subscriber to our Insider Newsletter. You can find it with the big teal button and click it and you will become an insider. First Liberty is your last line of defense and your greatest hope for victory.